Well, folks, we're back again with a new edition of the Blue Monty Podcast. I'm your host, Nathan Bond, alongside me, as always, Robert Stieg and our beautiful producer, Anthony Vito. Uh, it's been a while, guys. Got a lot, a lot to touch on. The spring of rings really came to fruition this year, and I'm I'm very, very happy about that. We'll we'll touch on that, but six team, six team titles. I mean, come on. Let's go. Let's go. Fantastic year. What a year for the South Florida Bulls. We'll pretend men's basketball and football didn't happen. And we'll move on from there. We'll it's fine. We'll get it. We'll get it figured out. Probably. That's fair. We won't get it figured out, but it's fine. Let's kind of jump into it. Got to kind of tease this on Twitter today. We've got pretty special announcement. Pretty fun, pretty fun stuff. We did it. We did it in 2019, and uh, glad to be doing it again. Um, we have two tickets to give away to every single home game this year, courtesy of a a fan of the blog, if a fan and friend of the blog. He's uh, kind of followed us for for years, and it's it's been great. Um, he mentioned he didn't want his name or didn't care. Maybe as we get closer, we'll release the name, but it's. Uh, very exciting time. So that means we got you know, home opener, senior night, homecoming, the Florida game. I mean, we've we've got them all. And the best part is section 109, row S, club access. You're on the home sideline, 30-yard line. Let's go. Huge. Perfect tickets. Everybody Huge. in the club. Everybody in the club getting tipsy. And I know we've done some – you know, different things, trivia and whatnot uh, for these tickets. But uh, we we are figuring out how we're going to give them away this year because uh, that Florida game uh, ticket is uh, going to be important. We may do a meetup. You may have to find us on campus or something or put put together a puzzle or beat us at USF Jeopardy, something to get these tickets. Um, we'll figure that out. We've still got, ooh, what, two months in a day? Two yeah, months in a day. 60, 63 days. Look at that. We're flying by. Flying I'm by. So so excited for it. Probably like what a month and a half until camp starts. I mean, geez. Maybe the, we'll get some media availability coming back again. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it was fun. I was at the Leroy Selman Center last week. It was uh it was surreal. I hadn't been inside that building in God, well over a year. It was nice to kind of see everyone and 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 talk to the different reporters on campus and and just feel feel whole again almost. So it'll be a really exciting time. I'm excited, but hey guys, July 1st was uh, a big day today, huge day. We we got we got a, a wide receiver coach officially. We've got Levante Camille being the first. USF athlete to have a, a sponsorship deal, which I think he was off my, my he, he was off my board. I would have I would have guessed Caleb Murphy, a quarterback, uh Maria Alvarez, maybe she's fantastic at, at TikTok. Uh, but Fonte Camille, uh first uh first person, at least publicly, that I've seen. I don't know if you guys have seen anything else to take advantage of the newly instituted uh NI, NIL rights for college athletes to uh, make money off their likeness. I mean, we're not going to see the $20,000 that D.R. King 
uh, got, but money is money. Go get paid. Ladies and gentlemen, go get paid. Just want to get your thoughts on, on, I mean, it's, it's still a bit of a cluster. We have no idea what's kind of going on. It's uh, we've heard the word, uh, the term wild, wild west thrown about quite a bit about this. What, what have you guys seen so far and what kind of excites you? And then what do you expect to happen? Uh, you know, at least USF centric in, in this NIL uh, world. Well, you obviously hit the nail on the head, Levante Camille, uh, first one to grab, uh, I guess the title of, of, uh, signing their likeness and to, uh, to this new world of college athletes. Um, so kudos to him. And then other than that, the other two that I've seen so far today, that Magum, uh, signed a capital executives and become a, what do they call a cap X athlete. So I know he'll be selling merch. He did it in, um, kind of recognition and dedication to his father. Uh, so great stuff there. And then I believe someone else signed a merch deal, but I retweeted it earlier and I'm too active on Twitter for my own good. So overall, I think it's going to be an absolute, you know, success throughout the college landscape, you know, big schools, little schools. Yeah. Ultimately it's, it's about these guys finally being able to profit off of who they are, what they do and, and, and the popularity around around college athletics. Obviously it's one of the biggest things in the United States might as well have these people benefit from it. So, you know, we'll, we'll probably continue to see it through the next couple of weeks. I'd imagine it'll kind of ebb and flow, you know, guys that get huge sponsorship deals, guys that are doing small deals to help out local businesses and everything like that. But I mean, it's going to be hilarious. It's going to be weird. And I am going to look forward to every single college athlete who gets endorsed and sponsored by a random podcast. And that's all you can ever ask for. Interesting. I am. This has been a monumental thing coming down the hopper for a very long time. And obviously the sponsorships are going to be there. They're they're going to be huge with Derek King and Mackenzie Milton. We're able to, uh, to do already. Uh, some people coming out and just doing tweets for Matt Brown's extra points or a random podcast here that gets some bucks. But I think the big thing that shines here is if you're just an average student and you go and you go to school, let's say you're a jazz student and you cut an album, you can make money off of that. You wouldn't be able to do that for as a student athlete doing anything. So this isn't just getting ad revenue or space. It's being a Twitch streamer or a YouTube streamer, doing anything with your social and selling anything on your social. I saw someone that said, uh, I don't remember what school it was, but now they're going to perform in a bar band and they've always wanted to do it, but they couldn't and get paid for it because the NCAA would have came knocking on the door. Things like that are huge that these players can now do. It's not about, well, I can't, I can't do something very specific because the NCAA is going to be there. It's, Hey, no, whether I use my football acumen or just me just trying to, to use my talents elsewhere or use something else to better my career. Now you're able to do that. And I think there's going to be a lot of things that we didn't consider that will come out of this that are going to be beneficial. There's too many people looking at the negatives. It's like, oh, well, now players are going to learn to do their taxes. Well, if you work at McDonald's, you have to learn to do your taxes anyway. And guess what? All the athletic departments are going to help them. That's part of what all of these institutions are going to do and help provide. And uh, it just, it, it's an absolutely monumental way to get some of their rights back as student athletes. And uh, I'm looking forward to what, what this is going to happen and how college athletics will change. Because like we were talking about in the Slack over the past month, 
12 team college football playoff and now NIL legislation pretty much happened in the month in the last month that pretty much made college football more interesting. Now it's not, Oh, Hey, look, you're taking all of your unpaid labor, making billions of dollars, not giving them any of it. And then also only 10% of the college or the uh, institutions can actually qualify for the playoff. It's just, it's, it's remarkable to see what this is going to do. And uh, I'm really excited. Even just like someone says like, you know what, I'm going to do a cooking show or I mean, heck, just do kicking uh, classes and baseball, right. doing batting lessons, pitching lessons, teaching, going back to their high school and te- teaching their former students or at least helping. I mean, this is it's huge and more than just like, oh, who's going to get that first uh, sponsorship from Under Armour or Nike or something like that. This this goes way deeper than that. And I mean, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, Vito, you're right. I mean, you hit it right on the head. It's it's opening doors to for these student athletes that they didn't have these opportunities before uh, Michael Kelly last week, just kind of harped on the common sense rules about NIL rights. Uh, a student, as you mentioned, could cut an album or have a job realistically, or do something of the sort and get paid for it, get paid handsomely for it. I know there's, it, you know, countless, you know, folks who get famous in college and still go through college and, and make a lot of money, but student athletes can't do anything, uh, you know, prior to today, uh, prior to July 1st, uh, without, you know, getting in trouble. And it's, I'm okay with, you know, there's going to be some hiccups. There's going to be, you know, some level one violations or whatever. It's also the institutions have to self-report these incidents there's going to be hiccups along the way and that's fine, but you, at least USF has been working uh, basically since the pandemic started last March on helping these students figure out what's next, what they can, can't do and help to help guide them through all of these things. Um, There's only so much that the athletic department can do, but they can give them guidance and help them out. Uh, You it's going to be an interesting time um, in the future. And, you know, I know a lot of institutions are are putting restrictions on what you can and can't uh, sponsor Um, uh, university of Oklahoma. You can't sponsor uh, bars, assault rifles, alcohol, weed distribution, pornography. There's just some things I guess that that they don't want done, but uh, let me tell you, I, Pornhub, all of those places, they've got money to burn. And I assure you, some college athlete is going to take it, take them up on that offer. And it's going to be phenomenal. They probably like it's going to happen. I think you just need to bank on that. Someone's going to do something and OnlyFans, a sponsored OnlyFans. I don't even know what it could be, but it's going to happen. And uh, quickly for us, uh, we still have to jump through some legal hoops uh, on our side on the SB nation slash Vox side to figure out who and what, and if we can even have an endorsement for a student athlete for, for the blog, for our Instagram, for Twitter, for anything to have, you know, guest appearance on the podcast every single week or something during football season, uh, you know, kind of like how Aaron Rodgers is always on the, the Pat McAfee show every Tuesday during football season, like something like that. I think that'd be interesting, but they've got to figure it out. So that's, 
probably coming down sooner rather than later, but it's going to be an interesting time for literally everyone involved because we have to make sure that, you know, we don't get the schools in trouble. I think the the last thing, uh, you know, a fan or anyone wants to do is get this school in trouble unless you have ulterior motives and you got to try to sponsor like maybe a seat out for a player and do it all wrong. Just to, just to bust them. It'd be funny, but I wouldn't be nice. I, uh, I do know through my own inquiries that you can't use them to you or you can't use this. And like, they can't use this to like sponsor, let's say like, you know, convincing uh, recruits to, to come to the university that you right. uh, are choosing. So found that out pretty quickly. What were you kind trying to do? Nothing in particular, uh, nothing that wasn't already in the, in the, in the Twitterverse. talked to a, a few people and found out that I cannot pay our, our lovely student athletes to convince every single recruit to come to USF. Uh, mm. It apparently falls into the recruiting violations. So the come to USF movement is, is purely going to be uh, purely going to be running through me uh, and, and my endorsement. So I'll be looking elsewhere. Uh, I'm going to call Jeff Bezos to see if I can get, you know, some of the money that he's been shelling out and, and get it on the moon, you know, just make yeah. a shirt already. It's really close to getting it done. I, I was talking to Thad about it last night and he was like, because I made that tweet and he was, I was like, so what is the parameters around this? Because like, I'll gladly shout like 20 bucks for a funny tweet from one of the USF football players. And he was like, yeah, we can't do that. Like they'll get in trouble for like, it would be like considered like the bagman stuff. And I was like, oh, that'd be hilarious if I ended up being a USF bagman. Uh, and I imagine it has to be with people who are on scholarship at the university. But uh, one thing that's this also kind of taught was it going through the Supreme Court and various states legislatures kind of going over the NCAA's head. This is almost like the NCAA got kind of got smacked down a little bit. So it might be a little bit like the Wild West. Um, so as long as compliance is involved and everything, everything checks out, there's going to be some people who do some things like, should that be allowed? And the NCAA is going to say, we say no. And everyone's going to say what you going to do about it? And that'll be the big, the big standoff. The NCAA drug their feet on this yep. for so long that everybody else made them look silly. So I'm, I'm really glad the athletes came, came ahead on this and it'll be interesting to see what happens. I'm super excited. I, I can, I cannot wait for the, just the, the most ridiculous sponsorship deal for a player. And I know, you know, we're talking about football, but I promise you, uh, all of the Olympic sports, especially on the women's side, they will make money. I promise. Uh, Sedonia Prince from Oregon, who's on Team USA, she's going to make bank. The I think her name's like Haley Krause or something like that from Oregon, the softball player. She just graduated, but she, if she was still playing, she would have made bank. Like it's, there are plenty of opportunities for the non-revenue sports players to make a lot of money. There's plenty of room to go around, especially, you know, living in Tampa, there's a lot of things that you can sponsor do even national brands, but there's not going to be a shortage of opportunities for, for all the student athletes. And I know there's some wiggle room and a donor can't directly be sponsoring a player just because of you know some of the rules. So if you're a big money donor, I'd probably stay away, but uh, you can give me the money and I'll sponsor him or something. I mean, I'll be your back, man. I don't care. Let's so, do it. So a quick question, which university or institution is going to uh, see a 
person pay a player for their name, image, likeness, not like something they did on the field court or, you know, state of play and then try to get the money back. And why is it Texas? Yeah, it's Texas. (laughs) It's there's no question. Texas, some big oil tycoon booster kid is going to pay some athlete, some four star from like Plano. And then it's, it's going to blow up in their face and he's going to want that money back. And it's it's the most obvious thing. It's probably because they didn't sing the eyes of Texas are hard enough or hardly enough or, you know, mouth that are did nothing. They didn't sing it like a true Texan would has to be Texas for sure. Yeah. Oh my head. Oh my God. Yeah. I mean, it's exciting time. We'll, we'll, you know, pass along any of the stuff that we find out uh, and, you know, whoever comes out of, this ahead. It, it's fun. We got three on the board already. Let's let's keep it going. We are a very pro get players paid blog. And uh, I'm excited. I'm excited for that to happen. Let's move on. There's you know some more news. Uh USF finally hired Bobby Bentley to be their wide receivers coach. I think he's he's been kind of unofficially the wide receivers coach for like four months now five months, maybe it just due to, you know, pension retirements, transferring all of that. Cause he's been around the game for a while. They had to wait until July 1st to make it official. And they made it official on July 1st. And he takes over for uh, Jeff Scott who coached wide receivers in the spring. Uh, so Jeff Scott just gets relegated back to just a boring ass uh, head coach, I guess, I guess, you know, he's not good enough to have two positions, uh, you know, but, here we are. Uh, Steve, what can you tell me about Bobby Bentley? Well, I, I had the, the that little post uh, about Bobby Bentley ready to go since like January. It, it literally took that long for this. I mean, they had him ready to go and they basically had him already on campus doing stuff. I mean, we had football camps that he was at because when you invite a bunch of coaches, you know, you can invite coaches from all over the country and, and hey, we just, um, hey, South Carolina just so happened to be at one of our camps. So, you know, we'll let that slide, but yeah, so he came from South Carolina. He was the tight ends coach uh, during the previous season and then was also the running backs coach for a good couple of years. He was a very well-respected coach with, with Will Muschamp and pretty much all over the Palmetto state. Um, He was born and raised and he coached a Presbyterian. And funnily enough, when he was coaching at Presbyterian, uh, he hired a wide receiver coach and that wide receivers coach was Jeff Scott. So it all kind of comes full circle eventually. Uh, and I, I, they have a great relationship uh, previously through that. And obviously they had a great uh, year that year at Presbyterian as well, leading to more and more changes. Uh, Jeff Scott going to Clemson um, by Bentley, I think won a Juco national championship there and then moved them up uh, a few divisions. So He's uh he's one of the better recruiters in the SEC as well. I think he was like top 25 uh recruiter for a few years, according to 247. Uh was consistently uh you know digging his roots in the Palmetto State uh in North Georgia as well. So he will most likely fill that liaison role that they were kind of using with Pat White to kind of hit those East Coast uh high schools uh for any recruits that they deem uh, necessary to go out of the Bay area for, they're still hitting that philosophy of, you know, recruit Bay made kids, Bay area, you know, 
hit the kids in Florida, go up to the Space Coast, Jacksonville, Panhandle, wherever you got to go. Um, but you know, you also got to keep your uh, keep your eyes outside the state in case you can swoop up anyone who may be flying under the radar. Hint, hint, week, week, nudge, nudge at one of the recruits that we got as well. So overall, um, a, a fantastic hire, uh, a very well-respected name and small world thing, Jay Bentley, former University of South Carolina quarterback, who we also faced off with against in the Birmingham Bowl. He's now at South Alabama. So just kind of small world things of USF to South Carolina connections that were happening previously. Sounds good. I know there, there's a lot of talent to uh, to be had in that wide receivers room, so I'm excited to see uh, how Bobby kind of molds this group. There's a lot of young guys he can kind of take under his wing and and, and do some great stuff. You mentioned uh, some hint, hint, wink, winks on some recruits. I know uh, USF got got a QB recruit what, yesterday, day before, maybe even today. I can't even remember. It's been it's been a whirlwind of a week. It's my, it's my last week before I, I, I start work again. So we've been trying to like jam everything fun that we can do into yeah. uh, the lot this last week here. Cause it kind of happened pretty suddenly. So uh, new QB recruit, second one of the class. What's uh what's his name? Tell me about him. Yeah. So uh, that Bobby Bentley hiring went official like at like 1150 or something like that. And then uh, we got our QB commit uh, Byron Brown at like noon. So it, it was very quick and sudden things were happening today. Uh, but yeah, it, uh, Byron Brown, he is a quarterback from Rollsville, North Carolina. Kind of a weird, interesting story about him. He really kind of was flying under the radar playing in a not so big region of North Carolina and led his team to the state playoffs and undefeated record in the playoffs and then got to a championship game. And I believe he got injured in the first quarter and didn't play for the rest of the game and his team lost. So, but he's uh he's yeah, our second QB commit of the class. He started getting a little bit more traction after uh, the playoffs and after he could start going to camps. Uh, he got an offer from Miami of Ohio shortly after the state championship game and then got another offer from the University of Central Florida in early June and maybe the day after got an offer from us, took official visits to, uh, excuse me, unofficial visits to both UCF and USF, met all the coaches, did private workouts, did the whole thing. And basically after that, we had the inkling that he would be the QB commit of the class for us. We, I, I me and the, the group that I kind of talked to about all this stuff, I mean, we thought he was going to be the guy. And then all of a sudden after that, Gunnar Smith committed uh, out of Lake Mary. So we were a little confused on what the uh, QB room is going to kind of look like because we figured that Byron Brown either got processed out or whatever happened there. But Byron also gave his pledge to us today. Uh, so that leaves us with a, a three-person recruiting class right now, two of which are quarterbacks in an in a already kind of jam-packed QB room. Um, the other commit is Javon Thomas from Sickles High School, who is also coming to USF to play basketball. So a, a relatively small class, but Byram's definitely a guy who this USF coaching staff sees a lot of similarities between Jaron Williams. Last year for, for Rollsville High School, uh, Byram threw for about 1,800 yards, 20 touchdowns, had about a 52% uh, completion percentage. 
big, big, strong arm, great vision, and ran an RPO style offense for Rolls Bills. So that's kind of the, the style that I know Charlie Weiss Jr. is wanting out of his quarterbacks, uh, being able to move, run around a bit, but also being able to stand strong to the pocket. Uh, and, and Byram definitely does fit that mold. Recruiting rankings are going to be whatever for the time being. I wouldn't look too much into them right now. He is about an 85 overall, uh, according to 247, not ranked on rivals. Give it about two weeks. He'll probably be about an 84, 85, and then like a 5.4 on rivals. So overall, a great commit. Uh, having two QBs this class, I think, is what uh, we need, contrary to, to the class size and uh, what a lot of people might be thinking. Uh, there's definitely going to be attrition going into this fall camp with this quarterback room. So getting as many bodies as you can in there until you find that cemented starter is a hundred percent necessary. And if it ends up being Cade Fortin, Jaron, Timmy McClain, Travis Marsh, whoever it is, you need to have bodies backing that up until you have that solid starter. And, and we saw what happened last year when you didn't have that solid starter. I mean, it was just a QB carousel the entire way through. Right. And you, you touched on it right there. It, it, the conventional wisdom in the past has been you sign, you always sign at least one quarter, one quarterback a class. Uh, and with the, you know, the free transfer year due to COVID plus you get a free transfer uh, now uh, through the NCAA allowing one transfer, uh, you know, throughout your career, it can open up a lot of possibilities. You know, I the transfer portals, you know, overflowing with players, but you've got to be able to account for that. You never want to be, you know, basically where USF was in 2019 with two scholarship quarterbacks and both of them hurt. It's, it's a tough, tough thing to do. And it's, you know, four quarterbacks is great. If all four stay going into next year and you have six, that's fine. Attrition happens and you've got to account for that. And I think what we all need to, understand is that transfer portal is going to be huge for this, for this staff, probably for at least two years. And I, I would, I would really wager that transfer portal is just going to be huge in college football forever, just indefinite. So you may see smaller classes, you know, incoming freshmen, uh, and you're getting them replaced with guys who've already played in college. It's, it's happened in men's basketball. Uh, where you're, you know, USF only signs one high school guy because you get transfers who have uh, in some way, shape or form have proven that they can play at the collegiate level in some capacity and coaches like to eliminate the unknown. And that's what a lot of coaches are trying to do, especially at the quarterback position. That's why you see so many transfer quarterbacks. It was I mean, it's been in vogue for years, uh, getting your star transfer quarterback in place. And, you know, developing quarterbacks is a lot harder than saying, you know, a wide receiver or a tight end, maybe an offensive lineman. You, you know, we've seen for the last couple of years, if you don't have a quarterback, you don't have a team. So figuring that out going into the future is huge. Still pretty young QB room, right? I mean, Kate Fortin has three years left. Jaron Williams has three years left. Marsh has what four years left. Um, Timmy McLean has four years left. It, we'll count that as five years. There's no way he's going to burn eligibility this year, <laughs> right? He's got five uh, years. So it's uh, still a pretty young class. I know Kate Fortin and, and Jaron Williams have been around the block quite a bit, and Jaron has a lot of playing time in 2019. But 
he hasn't taken a hit since 2019. He hasn't seen live fire since 2019. So it's going to be very interesting. A fall camp, you know, shakes out. I think we all agree. Kate Fortin is the number one guy right now going into fall camp. We'll see how that goes. You know, you get thrown into the fire real, real quick here with, uh, at NC state, bring in, bring in Florida. And then, uh, you get a cupcake, so to speak in FAMU the next week. So it's, it's a tough, tough early slate for the bulls and we'll see kind of what shakes out. But I, I think it's important to note two quarterbacks in a, a relatively small class is okay. Because one of the four that's already on the roster will likely not be on the roster this time in 2022 it's just what's going to happen and we've got to be okay with that and uh you know college sports are changing for the better and this is just one of those things having control of where you go and not locked into any particular place is fine you know alabama only has 85 scholarships they can't all go to alabama so i think we'll be all right uh and um uh, another kind of small point talking about the recruiting on the recruiting front is I, I and I've I've kind of hinted to it on on Twitter a bit, but I would very much say temper the expectations of who and how big this class is, and just throw the throw the ratings, throw the national, you know, whatever AAC placement that they have, just throw everything that you know about college recruiting and how to evaluate it out the door this year. It, it was an absolute shit show last year, even with uh, a, a normal class size because of the amount of transfers in the amount of transfers out, there was no real solid way to evaluate, you know, whenever you get a new transfer coming in, you know, you can't really go off their high school, uh, you know, stars off two, four, seven arrivals or anything like that. So, you know, when it, when it comes down to it and, and a lot of these schools have a lot different class sizes and a lot of different scholarships available. So where USF has what I, what we've been estimating between five and eight scholarships available for the entire class of 2022, schools like Florida State, UCF, Ole Miss, et cetera, et cetera, they might be able to take a 15-person class, a 20-person class. Shoot, even some schools are going to be able to sign a full 25-person class because they have those scholarships where we don't. So... Coach Scott and his coaching staff recognized that, and they were much more particular about who they were sending scholarship offers out to and who they were actually pursuing. There was a little bit of a, of a heartache over um, a, a recent commit to UCF. Uh, TJ Bullard, he uh, goes to Gaither, I believe, and he's the son of, Tid- son of Titus O'Neill. USF tossed him an offer like six months ago. There was really no follow-up on that. Uh, there was basically no shot. He was probably going to come here because evaluating him that they, they just, that wasn't an option. If we had the full 25 person class, maybe would have, would have pursued him a little bit more, right. but because of that selectivity that we have, we can't afford to do that. They do have guys on their list that are very top of line that I, I think people would get excited about. And if they commit to USF, that's absolutely great. But Gabe Gabriel Dende Brownlow is not coming to USF as a five star. As much as I want it, and I speak it into existence, it isn't happening this year. And if it does happen, you know, I, I think I think we'll get hit with an NCA violation because it it's just we won't sign a five star this year. 
even though the class sizes are going to be smaller and everything. But right. in 2023 and 2024, where Jeff Scott and his staff has been laying down the groundwork already, we we may we may surprise some people. We may you know get a get a high four star, get a you know low five star that ends up you know ending up being a four star. But definitely look for the transfer portal more this year and next year as well. Don't pay attention to recruiting rankings. Don't pay attention to who has offers to what. Mm-hmm. Oregon was offering fucking everyone this year for no reason, and none of them were committable. So right, <laughs> just uh, take every take everything with a grain of salt that you see on Twitter. I'll retweet offers that I see out. Maybe ten percent of the ones that we have seen are actual committable offers. Right, and I just if I see Titus on the sideline of USF game, we're gonna have trouble. I mean, not from me. I'll get I'll get uh, Omus to take care of that, but definitely not from me. But he better not be on the sidelines again. But he's a very nice guy, which is annoying because apparently his son has poor taste in schools. But other than that, he's fine. Let's uh, let's uh, move on, guys. Let's let's get into uh, our yearly daily stampede awards. It's it was a fun fun year. We sent them out last uh, last week. We had them basically ready to go for like a month, just about a month. And then some uh, not very good team kept winning and we had to keep rewriting. And then we had to keep rewriting again. And then we had to finally, finally put a cutoff and like, all right, we got to get this done. And, and it's been interesting. It's been a fun, fun few weeks. Um, I mean, since May 1st, it's been a lot of fun. Let's kind of get into it. We'll, we'll go through the awards. I know we, you know, we kept it to a sentence, you know, max on, on the store, but we can expound a little bit. There's just, it's just the three of us, not the eight that were, uh, that were, you know, voting here. Uh, let's, you know, kick it off. Best team. A lot of different choices. I think women's basketball basically ran away with it. I think Colin was the only one that picked baseball to be the best team given their run in Clearwater and Gainesville and, and, you know, Given Texas a run for their money in Game One, Vito, best team. Uh, you picked you picked women's basketball. What made them the best team this year at USF? Uh, I did uh, mostly. So I'll find it funny when we put the call for the Start TVS Awards it was May twenty third. So that was the weekend. That was the Monday after the ECU, right before the American Athletic Conference tournament. So just imagine we waited all the way essentially until June fourteenth to make a call on the TDS awards. It's just funny watching everybody uh, change what was going on at that point. Um, I I chose women's basketball and and this is more like that, that team, the first half of the season was unstoppable and they look like they were about to just guillotine throughout the entire American American athletic conference. Then they had a month long COVID stoppage and still, despite that were able to push through and, and still win the, win the regular season and then also get through the tournament and then win the conference tournament for the first time in Jose Fernandez's career. And it was just not just a career remarkable, but the amount of joy that we all have for him, his program, what he built and what that team did. And, you know, having NC State on the ropes in the first half and the second round of the NCAA tournament, it was just they, they to me were the best team overall from start to finish. And and I, I, I think I put on honorable mention baseball because you can't not mention them, but I still have to give it to women's basketball. Steve? I mean, it, it was obvious that it was going to be women's basketball. I, I think 
that that conference championship, the the regular season and the uh, the, the the tournament kind of changed a little bit of the feel for for our fan base. Um, yeah, it seemed like it was a little bit of a turning point this year where people were like really down about basketball, men's basketball, really down about football. And then history happened right in front of our eyes, it, you know, getting a, a refreshing victory and not having it, you know, yanked out of our, our, you know, hands at the last second, like we'd been so used to in the past, you know, that, that last second shot that UCF had against us that rimmed out, you know, I think Colin said it like nine times out of 10 in years past that goes in and it's just the most gut punch thing you could ever ask for. And Hey, welcome to becoming a USF fan. This happens every week, but that victory kind of cemented a change of culture that we've been talking about under Michael Kelly, the, this complacency that was happening before and the incompetence may still be happening every once in a while, but at least the teams are winning on the court at least the teams are, are putting up conference championships and, and putting up competitive records and, and making history uh, for the first time. I, I, I didn't put an honorable mention, but my honorable mention probably would have been women's soccer, not necessarily because of the dominance and, and kind of the, the quietness of the, what, an eight game regular season. But, you know, Cindy Martinez and goal was just unstoppable. Sydney the cello up top became the offensive player of the year for the conference and then making a pretty good run in the, uh, in the tournament as well. It was just a commendable effort and having Denise Shield Brown continue to come back after that UF scare just made me feel a lot better about the future of that program going forward. It's, it's definitely, you know, they're going to be a team that's going to be dominant in the, uh, in the American for a while. Uh, but also I made sure to note it future stamp 2022 best team is also going to be USF women's basketball. Agreed. Very much agreed. I, I also chose uh, women's basketball. For, for the reason you guys laid out and, you know, it was close, but it, it was very, very close. But I mean, pulling off winning the titles both times, regular season and conference against UCF, it's Jeff's kiss. You got to go with that on the flip side, worst team. I think it's football. I think the only team. Yeah, I think it's football, football across the board. They didn't have an FBS win. They looked terrific for large stretches of the of the season. And then they, you know, they kind of got it together down the stretch. But I mean, woof for for good reason. Uh, I definitely put in I, I we, we, you know, we had to pick somebody and they're the clear winners. They were the first team that had to navigate any type of season in COVID. And they were hit with a lot of it. And it's just, it's not their fault. It's not the coaching staff's fault. It's not the player's fault. It's not anybody's fault. That's just the way it is. I want to like have everybody take that season, tear it up, put in the ball, throw it in the trash can. Like don't even look at that when evaluating anything, because that's just kind of how that season went. But again, you don't have an FBS team, FBS win. you get rocked by ECU at home, you beat five years in a row. It's just, that's just what it is. But yeah, yeah, unfortunately, it was an upsetting season, but we're looking we're looking towards the future. Yeah, I think it was basically uh, football by default, not for any. I mean, we all kind of expected that to happen. I don't think anyone was surprised when all the spring practices were canceled. So Jeff Scott and his coaching staff couldn't evaluate the players. Uh, and then all of a sudden, the summer gets canceled. And then, oh, well, all of a sudden, now we're going to have to play Citadel in, in five days and half of our like available player, like half of our offensive linemen aren't available. Our long snappers aren't available. Two of our quarterbacks aren't available. You kind of knew that this team was not going to be able to be competitive 
from the get-go. And you saw what happened with the team whenever they did get those practices in and were able to put extended work in. And they did have a good few showings against Memphis, against UCF. But I mean, ultimately, when your team is not able to practice and you're traveling, what what was it, 77 guys to Houston? When you're um, normally traveling like... Uh, less. The travel capacity is 70 and they were traveling like 57, I think, at one point. I mean, they were traveling in like walk-ons. Like you're telling me that a bunch of walk-ons who didn't even have division one offers are are struggling against FPS opponents. I'm shocked. Uh, But yeah, I mean, by default, they had to be the worst team. They'll get better. Like Vito said, throw, throw that season, toss it in a trash can. And for lack of a better term, it didn't happen. Yep. Best male athlete. A lot of a lot of choices here. Us three had three different people. Uh, Steve, you went with KJ Sales for his off the field uh, contributions. The the you know the unity walk. Unity walk. Uh, yep. Uh, after the the protest and last May after uh, George Floyd's murder, and he did he did a lot of a lot of stuff. He did a lot of good stuff off the field, on the field that didn't really matter. I mean, part of the worst team that kind of happens. Yeah. I, uh, it took, I, I wanted to kind of explain it in like a, they're student athletes. These are, these are real people. Obviously they have feelings just like everyone else. And for KJ to stand tall throughout the entire season as basically the senior leader on the team. Yeah. The team sucked, but you know, that guy put in his heart day in, day out. And for all the work that he did on the field, he was probably putting triple the work off the field to, you know, try to better the community around him and, and continue to do that to this day, uh, working with Mayor Castor and, and, you know, other leaders in, in the Tempe area to, to cement his legacy here, not just at USF, but in the Tempe area, you know, it's their student athletes. I leaned more on the student part of the, uh, the equation there. And Vito, you put the freshman All-American third baseman here. Yeah, uh, Carmine Lane. So um, before baseball went on their tear, Alvin Bergstrom was my my male player of the year. Uh, very well-deserving. But I wanted to go a different route. Just when I was writing the roundups, especially the last month of the season when he started hitting leadoff, his name was always popping up. You know, first in batting average, first in RBIs, third in home runs. He started all but one game, and that was in the first series of the year. Him and uh, when Drew Brutcher got hurt, he took – he took the the mantle and it was the catalyst of this team. Uh, freshman All-American. Uh, there's so many freshmen, sophomore. And the, the last, the funny thing is the last podcast that we did, we talked about how young they were. And the fact that they got this experience this year in the way that it was, I just felt like he deserved it. He definitely turned it on at the end there. And I, I, I that's why I ended up choosing him. Yep. And I stayed with baseball and I picked Jack Jaciak because uh, from uh, May 7th, to June 12th, he allowed five earned runs in six outings. That two lane outing in the conference tournament was one of the best pitching performances I have literally ever seen live. And I've seen like Verlander pitch against the Rays and kind of shut him down. Like it was just, uh, he was dotting it. They, I think he retired 18 straight at one point. That was just an absolute epic performance by him. And he's only, I guess he's only going to be a sophomore. So you get him for one more year before he gets drafted, most likely. But that was 
that was a lot of fun uh, to to watch that run, and we'll get more. We'll get into that run a little bit more. Uh, shout out Jared Eaton. He he was also mentioned at three sixty nine with ten runs and nine RBIs and USF's uh, eleven postseason games. And I mean, it, he it was like clockwork. He was he was good for uh, a double down the right field line, probably every four at bats. So it was it was nice to see best female athlete. Everyone but Stieg picked Georgina Korik because wanted to be different. I mean, women's soccer still wins the conference tournament without Sydney Martinez. USF softball wins like three games without Georgina Korik. You you picked wrong, and that's fine. You just wanted to give someone else some attention, and that's perfectly fine, but you're wrong. Wanted to give love to to other sports. I knew everyone was going to pick Korik, so I was like, you know what? I can't. Can't not give credit to City Martinez for the job that she did stonewalling the entire conference the entire year. They probably was, do end up winning all those games, but hey, it's something different. Got to got to show love to the to the soccer girls. It's something like starting five straight. Uh, the first five games were all shutouts, including a tie against UF. Pretty silly to just look at those stats. Didn't give up more than one goal except against Texas A and M in the round of thirty two in the tournament. But that's yeah. great. Cork, Cork got hands down. <laughs> 15 shutouts, four no hitters. Grow up. You picked wrong and you're wrong. It, no, you, need to, <laughs> you need to stand there in your, your wrongness and be wrong. I'll shower in it tonight. Good. <laughs> Best coaching job. It, it was a two person race. I mean, DSB for women's soccer and Eric Jenkins. I mean, that was it. I, it what Eric Jenkins has done in two years here has been absolutely nutty. We got all Americans guys. We have conference champions in track. Now we have Olympians. The, really? Three, the f- we have three people going to the Olympics. For, who? Well, the, from various countries. Yes. Okay. But <laughs> one's coming from the Bahamas. One's going uh, from Jamaica. And the last one is also the Bahamas. Oh, turn up. Let's go. We're track school, bro. They had a couple top 10 times, especially in the running and uh, the women's running. The 4 by 400 had three or four different alignments and rosters and rewrote the record, the mm-hmm. school record book, like four to five different times with four to five different alignments. I mean, I had for a while there, I was like Billy Mole because what he was able to do. But then I sat there, it was like Eric Jenkins took a program that we just never wrote about, talked about, did anything about because it never competed and turned it into a team that's competing for championships in two years. And that includes through COVID years. It was incredible what he was able, what he's been able to do. And again, just get Mike Kelly to hire as many people as possible. And it's track track and field and cross country were a, uh, as Jamie put it, a title nine make weight for years. It, they did not care. It doesn't matter. It just make sure you have the numbers and the USF still got, pinned for it. Uh, There's a huge New York times article about it a few years ago about how they were double counting and it was, it was a whole mess. And uh, when we, when Colin and I went up to Providence for AAC, AAC media days in 2019, 2018, one of the, one of the only questions I asked Michael Kelly was why is track so bad? What can we do to fix it? We live in Florida and look what he did. He gave the former head coach a year, ain't cutting it, found someone else. And look where we're at now. Uh, now, the 
the key part is to keep him here. So that could be a struggle because he's proving that he's a good coach. Um, but we'll see. Uh, the three shout outs, by the way, uh, volunteer coach, Shade Lawrence. Kind of count it there. Yeah. Uh, Justin Bridgewater won the Bahamas national championship in the men's 800 meter. And Jasmine Knowles won the women's 800 meter in the Bahamas national championship. Okay. So not just, so two, two runners won a national championship for their respective countries. Let's go. Let's go. My goodness. Keep it moving here. Most surprising team Duh. is baseball. Jamie picked uh, women's soccer for losing Evelyn Vienne, which I get. Uh, but what baseball did was incredible. We will always remember the Drew Brutcher homer in game one. doesn't matter that they lost. That was the most epic thing that I've ever witnessed a USF player ever do. And I've seen Quentin Flowers juke the entire UConn team for 50 yards for a touchdown. I've seen Mitch Wilcox moss a future second round draft pick. I've seen, I've, it, you name it, I've seen it. Uh, I mean, Amar Jackson, three different, three ways, scoring three different ways. Uh, Quincy Redo's uh, shot three at, against SMU. <laughs> I mean, but what Drew Butcher did in that moment after not playing for God, basically two months coming in as a pinch hitter in the regionals coming up clutch. I mean, he, he never hit the ball soft. Um, he had a clutch double uh, in, in uh, one of the regional games and then coming in with just an absolute mammoth blast to quiet that Texas stadium will go down in USF floor forever, but it's back next year. Yeah. He was only a freshman. Like a true freshman. Oh, I'm so excited for this team. Yeah, I mean, it was baseball. It, that's it. That's what you need to know. Going into part two here of our awards, the, the most disappointing team, men's basketball. High expectations. They had everything going for them. They basically brought everyone back. They had to figure out how to replace the look once you were due, and they never quite figured that out. Alexis Shetna was just not quite Alexis Yetna. And then Tom Heron happened and the investigation happened and everything went south after January 12th. And here we are basically hitting the reset button with the same head coach. And uh, I feel okay. Uh, breaking the news here, uh, two new assistant coaches, they've already found them. It may take a while for them to officially announce, but uh, Jason Slay will, from what I understand, we'll take over for Scott Wagner's who will not return. And uh, Larry Rowe, I believe is his name. Lewis Rowe. Lewis Rowe, excuse me. Lewis Rowe will take over, uh, will be Tom Heron's replacement. So they still need a director of basketball operations from what I, from what I understand. But here we are. We've got two uh, new assistant head coaches. Jason Slade just followed Steeg on Twitter. And so there's that. Interesting tidbit. I knew about them a couple of days ago, but figured why not draw some drop some knowledge here? I mean, what can you say? The men's basketball. What, you guys can go off on of men's basketball. I the, what, whatever you what guys want to say, go ahead about your feelings, how the investigation turned out, and this is kind of uh, get it out and and we'll move on from there. I I learned a lot about the last 
two years of USF men's basketball in the last two months. And it's shocking yet understandable yet disappointing yet somehow optimistic at the same time. Yeah, it, it obviously this none of this was good in the initial side of things. When you have all of these guys transfer out, despite you know what everyone's opinions are about the transfer portal, especially in college basketball, you having essentially your entire team sans two players transfer out is is not a comforting feeling. You know, sometimes you may be cutting some guys who may not be getting much playing time. Or some guys are, are looking for uh, greener grasses and, and more playing time. And, you know, you have a guy like Justin Brown who wanted to reunite with his teammates from high school one last time at UAB um, going back home. So, you know, there's there's various reasons that these guys can transfer in all power to them in, in full respect. And I'll be rooting for basically every single one of them because they all left mostly on a positive note. You know, there were some reports and rumblings about most of these guys wanting to transfer out the year before but then the COVID stuff happened and it kind of limited the, the scope of, of possibility for them to be able to transfer. So that's prior to the season, which when we all started kind of watching the games and started noticing uh, the lack of effort and uh, not a lot of effort plays being made and you know the, the overall disappointment, it, it kind of made an understanding of why this team was so disappointing. There was just not a lot of heart and push from either the coaching staff, the, the players, a lot of disconnect possibly on, on what was wanting to happen. And then the Tom Harry and stuff came out and it made it so much worse because you hear racially charged and you see nine transfers and you're like, all right, we can melt two and two together and, and, and run with that idea of why these guys transferred and, you know, the, the toxic environment that could have been happening at USF. Thankfully, you know, the independent review came back the way it did. And, you know, we'll, we'll see what's in store for the team in the future. I, I think the transfers that they got were pretty good. They're going to fill a role, obviously, you know, plenty of playing time to go around uh, with as many holes on the team as there are. Um, hopefully with these two new assistants, the, the coaching style changes, because frankly, I don't think you're going to be able to uh, compete and draw fans and, and really instill confidence in this rock style fight defense that, that Brian Gregory loved to play. You know, if you bring in these two guys, maybe there's a possibility we might have a more athletic playing style. Looking at the guys that we brought in, it definitely seems that way that it's going to be a more athletic team going forward instead of just this super defensive heavy team. But guys still have to make shots. Defense still needs to get played. Guys need to get open. We need to limit turnovers. I don't know what the future has for that team. Anyone who is giving any estimation on USF basketball next year is sorely mistaken because no one knows how good they're going to be or how bad they're going to be. Yeah. You're not going to get a, a guarantee. USF won't be last tweet from me uh, this, this time around. There's no, I, there's way too many moving parts. We got to figure out how, you know, there's only three players coming back from last year's team, how they gel with the new guys, how, how the fallout of this kind of still takes place. I mean, there's still going to be some lingering issues there. So we'll figure out, kind of what happens and move on. But it seems like Brian Gregory and, and the university did the right thing uh, reported the, the one occurrence that they knew about immediately and got it taken care of, open the investigation. And this is the result. Don't be a dick. I mean, it's not that hard anymore. Just don't say stupid shit. I, I say stupid shit all the time, but don't say racist, stupid shit. Just 
it's really not that hard anymore to not be racist. Like you have to actively try at this point. Shouldn't be tolerated. It's not at this point. They, they took care of it. They did what they did. Uh, again, before the co- they had a COVID break, a month long one, just like women's basketball before it, they were competing and looked pretty darn good to, in that. I don't want to say pretty darn good, but they look like they were competing. They come back and they're not. So there's a lot of things that we don't know what happened, but it is what it is. Uh, a ton of people went in the transfer portal and they they built a, essentially a brand new team outside of three guys. Actually, it's four guys because Mark Kalea is still there. Yeah, that's who I was counting. Mark Kalea, yeah. Junior Chaplin, Caleb Murphy. Russell Chua. Oh, I forgot about him. It's funny that I remember the walk on. Mark Kalea. <laughs> It's funny I remember the walk. I only remember because I, I looked up the roster. I was like, okay, l- l- let's see who we have here. But um, I guess we'll see. We'll see what happens. And um, I still like Brian Gregory for the time he came to the patio when he, we had a good time. So we'll we'll see if this is a blip on the radar and they can move past it. But at least it seems like they did the right thing. Yep. Uh, moving on. Best game. Stieg, you picked uh, the AC uh, the AAC tournament uh, win over UCF for baseball. I mean that that that's a game USF loses historically. Um, so I understand the pick there. It made a lot of sense. Um, I never, I really did not think that one one run lead would hold up uh, after what like the sixth inning when uh, you know USF jumped out at like a five five nothing lead and uh, they slowly chipped away and it, they made it hold up. Orion Kirkering, uh just an absolute gutsy performance there and. Logan Lyle, he was he was rough for a little bit and then figured it out and helped bridge the gap there. That was a fun one. Vito, you picked uh, women's basketball, beating uh, CDOT Florida in the conference championship or baseball beating CDOT Florida in the conference championship. There's a reoccurring theme here. It's the extra chef's kiss. Just It, it really is. Just adds so uh, much flavor. What, what I put was uh, literally take your pick. Women's basketball winning the regular season. And tournament title over CDOT Florida, baseball winning the conference title over CDOT Florida, men's golf going wire to wire in the conference tournament over CDOT Florida, and others. Any one of Georgina Cork's four no hitters or beating Florida in the Gainesville Regional. It was a fun time. It was a fun time to be a USF fan, and uh, we, we've got to enjoy it. And it, I, there's going to be more to come. I mean, you don't typically have that many best games to pick from, uh, especially when there's so many titles to pick from. So it, it's been a lot of fun. Worst, worst, worst game. Steve, you had a, you had a pretty interesting one. Yeah. It, it happened kind of under the radar and it was the USF uh, match against UCF early in the season. Ashley Fisher has done a, a, a phenomenal job with the USF tennis program. It, it essentially was a six year dynasty of, conference championship after conference championship producing, you know, singles champions and, and doubles champions throughout the entire thing. And then we got leapfrogged by UCF pretty astoundingly. I don't know what they put in the water uh, over on the stupid tennis complex that they have up there. I, I think what happened, it's like with men's golf, uh, SMU got an influx of money into men's golf. And I believe UCF also got an influx of money into men's tennis. And mm-hmm. that's what you're seeing. It's why, you know, SMU, you know, I probably think Bryson DeChambeau has played at SMU. It's like those, you you get those kind of guys, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's kind of what happened at UCF, and they were they were very very good this year. 
And this the the terrible thing is they're going to be really really good next year and 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 I'd hate to say it, they're probably going to compete for a national title because they they just sign like three guys that are like competing on like the the tennis tour. It's it's ridiculous. But I mean, people look to that USF Notre Dame game and where USF was out of out of the picture in the first first minute. We knew USF was going to be overmatched by by Notre Dame, but. For us to just get absolutely just leapfrogged and then trounced by Central Florida, it was none of the matches were close. Nothing good happened in that in the doubles match, any of the singles matches. I don't think they won a single point, or I don't think they won a single uh, game on any of those courts. Um, I, I think they won maybe one on doubles, and that was it. Like wire to wire, just crushed us. Thankfully, no one pays attention to college tennis except for me. So there you go. That's that the radar. <laughs> Doesn't right. count. Vito, you had a you had a pretty uh, heartbreaking one too. Yeah, I said football versus ECU. Uh, the, the Notre Dame they just scheduled that game. It was the week. Uh, it was one of those things like that was going to happen. That was going to be what it was. And again, they competed in the CFP. So here you go. Uh, but mine was football versus ECU. It was a home game. It was a night game. We've beaten ECU five straight years prior to that, and they just got walloped. And it wasn't like ECU was a surprise team that you know turned it around and was competing for. Uh, the conference, they only had three wins. So it, it was just, you know, seeing what happened there. And then it was just one of those games where you knew it was going to be a long year after that. And it, again, it's fine. Take it, take throw it away. I'll take p- bits and pieces of the, of the C dot game and keep some of that just kind of like, you know, cut out that part and stick it to your evaluation. But outside of that, it, it was just rough. I, I hate any situation we lose to the pirates all, all the time. I agree. I uh, I picked Notre Dame. Uh, I think the only other uh, game that wasn't uh, what you guys picked was a Jamie pick. Oh no, he picked the East Carolina game. Yeah, so it's uh, pretty pretty fun. I the Tulsa game was up there too because that sucked ass. Can we can we mention what Jamie called Holt Mailers? Dollar Tree. Oh, Tebow. Dollar Tree Tebow. Yeah. Oh, Colin Colin picked the uh, men's basketball game, losing uh, ninety eight to fifty two at Houston. Ooh, ooh. I forget that one. Yeah, I forgot that's, that existed. That's a oh, deep God. cut. I forgot about that one. So wasn't that the first game back? I, it may have been. It was rough. It was rough. Oof. Biggest upset. Steak, you had a you had a good one. Yeah, I went back into the the the, the track thing. I I went with the deep cuts on mine, and it looked like part of my uh, thing got cut off. But uh, Shanisa Hextall winning the four hundred meter hurdles women's track. At a time of 56 seconds and 94, the fastest time in school history, pretty good. Fastest time in conference history, also pretty good. And then top 10 in the country. And if you had told me before the season that a USF track and field athlete would be top 10 in anything, I wouldn't have believed you. There is just no way that the, there would for us to make a turnaround that quick on our track program would be just phenomenal in itself. So I went with that as my biggest upset instead of, you know, the, the usual, uh, you know, Gainesville uh, regional and, and whatnot. Yeah. Um, it, I, I think basically everyone picked baseball except for you, you know, a span of seven days, they beat number 10 ECU twice. They beat number two C Wichita state three seed two lane twice and then turn around five days later, beat preseason number one, Florida, and then Miami on their way to their first regional title. 
nothing like that has ever happened at USF where you're under 500 and you just go on such a heater, right? Like that's, that doesn't happen. That's what, that's what I guess the, the seven and nine uh, year for what was it? The Seahawks, the beast quake. Was that that year? Yeah. Against the saints. Right. Like, it's just like one of those things, but instead of just like winning one playoff game, you win the entire thing. This felt very much um, like 2015 football where it was oh, it's right. be another bad year. And then Syracuse happens and they just flipped the switch. And it just seemed like they flipped the switch that last month of the season and they just carried it. And yeah, I, we keep, t- we keep talking about, Hey, what's the comparison? It's like, I don't think there is, that was absolutely incredible. And I, at all, all of those were shocking upsets, but I mean, Gators, Miami beat South Alabama and they they finally made it to a super. I don't know. That was that, that was just incredible. I didn't think I'd ever seen anything like that. And it just felt like again they flipped the switch, and it felt like it all started with women's basketball winning the championship. All of a sudden, the fortune started favoring the Bulls here a little bit, and uh, and they ended the season number twenty five in the in the rankings. I'm sure yep. they're like, wow, you guys are are barely over five hundred. Well, we got to put you somewhere. You're a top, you're a you know made to the Sweet Sixteen essentially. But yeah, I, I'm, I imagine that's the first time they've ever ended the season in the top twenty five. I mean, we'll do some stat running here, but I, I don't imagine any other season they would have. Yeah, there's probably some stupid college baseball poll from like the 1970s that was like just ranking the schools in the Southeast that USF found their way in because they misspelled Florida State or something like that. Well, it's in the NCAA record book, so it counts. Um, <laughs> yeah, you know what's what's funny to me for for baseball is so it was a four game series against ECU, right? And they drop they had they open the series with a doubleheader, and they drop both games of the doubleheader, and ECU clinches the American Conference regular season title on that Thursday. And then they play again Friday, Saturday. And in my head, going into the conference tournament, I'm like, yeah, great. You beat ECU, uh, you know, back to back. But, I mean, they had nothing to play for. They had already clinched the regular season title. They had clinched the number one seed in the conference tournament. So, like, what benefit does it really have for you? And if you talk to Billy Mole, if you talk to any player on that team, it was a huge catalyst into this run. So, it's just really... It was really interesting to see what those two wins did for for this program going forward. And uh, just real quick about baseball, I don't know we'll, where we'll fit, fit it in, but it's uh, Alan Kunkel left to go to UAB. Uh, yes, uh, I guess June thirtieth. He has he has a close relationship with the new head coach over there at UAB, so it kind of made sense there. And then volunteer uh, coach who was the pitching coach Carson Whitson has taken over and is now the full-time paid uh, assistant coach for Billy Mole. And it's uh, a great news. Uh, players like him. He did really, really good things with the, the team the last couple of years and kind of, kind of turning Dylan Burns into a serviceable uh, pitcher was incredible. Uh, Colin, getting the best out of Colin Sullivan, figuring out what worked and what didn't work for Jack Jaciak after that Texas tech outing. He deserves it. He's a great follow on Twitter. If you, if you, uh, if you don't already, um, but figured I'd, I'd get that in there. And then uh student manager, Ryan block is now the pitching coach at Southeastern to also get that in there. And then let's move on to biggest controversy. We already touched on it. It's 
Tom Heron making racist comments to black players and thinking that it's fine. But Stieg, again, once again, you picked something else. What'd you pick? The Nick Roberts leaving the field during the Tulsa game and then probably while taking off his jersey on his phone and turning the transfer portal. I, I chose not to talk about the Tom Heron thing because uh, I'm, I was tired of it. Uh, frankly, I, I was doing way too much digging on, on that stuff. And I was sick of just putting my thoughts out there on it. So I went with this uh, because it did cause uh, some issues and some gripes and some garbles on, on the USF football program under in the first year under Jeff Scott, it kind of created this domino effect of, of transfers from, you know, contributing members like Nick Roberts and um, Jordan McLeod and it kind of created this shadow of doubt um, around Jeff Scott and, and, and some hesitancy uh, towards the program. And it was a rough year in itself already, but to have these guys just transfer out who were from the Bay area, you know, to, to go to other schools and seek other opportunities, it, it may be fine for some people because of you know, the lack of talent and, you know, what we've already spoken about previously about, you know, the, the issues that the school has been having as far as recruiting goes, but to, to cause that much controversy and doubt under a first year head coach during a COVID ridden season, because the guy decided to leave the field. I mean, it was a, like one of the most talked about things during uh, our football seat, our, our shitty football season uh, was the Nick Roberts incident. And then obviously the Tom Heron thing happened and yeah, people forgot about the Nick Roberts thing. So here I am bringing it back up. And here's the thing though, Nick Roberts was talking shit to like a specialist. It was either the the long snapper, the holder or the kicker. I spent about two weeks trying to get some Tulsa players to talk to me about that uh, via Twitter or Instagram. And now I have, I follow like four people from Tulsa's specialist crew on Instagram now. So that's fun. Could never get a definite answer on who he was talking to. It seemed like he was talking to the kicker for God knows what reason, but God, I mean, that could have been the funniest moment too, though. It was so, close to it. For him, shit talking a kicker and then leaving the field because he, he literally got roasted. Taking his ball and going home after getting roasted by the kicker, which was fantastic. And then finally, we've we've got the funniest moment. Jamie and Ken picked the Amario Dawson zero-yard punt return for a touchdown versus Citadel in the season opener. And man, I'm... I'm watching it now and it's, it's still funny to this day. It's so funny. Jamie rivaled it to the, the failed screen pass in the end zone uh, by Rutgers as one of the funniest uh, football plays in, in USF history. And I, I, I tend to agree. Steve, you had a great one. The just winning the conference title over UCF twice. Was, which was one, wait, which sport? Oh, because sorry. we did it multiple times. You're right. I apologize. Uh, the women's basketball winning the regular season conference title over UCF and our, 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 our ugly cousins, stepbrothers from black and gold banneret getting butt hurt and saying, Oh, that's, that's not the big game. That's, that's not, it doesn't count as much. You don't no, even get a looking- trophy. You don't and get then a trophy being, for that. And then they got the trophy. The, 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 uh, the, I think that was the best part of saying, pictures. it's saying, well, we care about the trophy more. And then they literally brought out a trophy. Like, oh, you mean this trophy? Oh, I guess they do give a trophy for that. Like, what? What a weird like, then, hill to die on. 
And then, and then us, and then I'm like, oh, well, we'll win the conference. We'll win the, we'll win the conference tournament, which is the one that matters because you get the play in. And then they just got abs. The, you when you get rocked like that, and, and then for them to go on and then subsequently lose in the first round of the NCAA tournament that they absolutely did not deserve to be in. It was just beautiful the entire way. I, I, I lived in UCF. Oviedo territory for like two weeks trying to just stir up the masses on people that said they didn't care about women's basketball, but cared enough to comment on, uh, you know, the close game and how close it was and the, the trophies and the, everything like that. And then just getting absolutely molly in the first round against Northwestern, uh, shout out Will Kennedy, just tears everywhere. It was, it was great. great. It was awesome. It was awesome. Vita, we'll we'll get to ours because we had the same one. I think a lot of us had the same one. But uh, Nick picked uh, football going blow for blow with CDOT Florida and watching the fans melt down in real time over Randy Shannon's defense. He's upset that Tennessee bailed him out and uh, can't he can't see Hypola uh, slowly run the program into the ditch. That would have been great. I would have loved it. Just unfortunate it didn't happen. Yeah, that that was its own weird search situation. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but. I mean, going blow for blow in that game was hilarious. And then Vito, we picked uh, the just they're not a very good team. The, the amount, the, the whole bit is uh, so the Gators territory beat writer Nick Delatori um, <laughs> did the not a very good team when they lost to UF, and and ju- they turn around get just you know mollywopped by. Uh, South Alabama and just he proceeds to just get dunked on by literally every USF personality from media to just, you know, uh, Joey Knight got involved. <laughs> yeah. Like, like everybody just every day, every time that USF played, anytime something happened, they would just dunk on that guy. And luckily he like ended up, you know, having fun with it. And it, it, he, cause he could have went a completely different way and just really started to like, uh, you know, be upset about it, but he was just like, well, <laughs> that was, that, that was a mistake tweet. It was just really funny just to watch all of like the, you know, quote unquote U- USF Twitter, just jump, jump down that guy's throat when he was You're telling like, me, oh, man, I just said something out of like upset. Being he upset. could have done the, uh, in all kinds of weather routine. Yeah. And then that's, I think that was else's, uh, oh, someone else was in there as well. Oh my for that God. That, oh. that guy up and down, he, like literally, if you've ever seen the office, Swears up and down he got into Cornell, and Andy Bernard's just so pissed off that Dwight is wearing Cornell colors. Like that was this guy. The funny thing about that is he, him, and I, I just he just kept going on about it. And I was like, oh, wait, so you're not even a you're, you're just like a sidewalk Gator fan, and now you're talking about how you're an Ivy League. It just reminds me of that one uh, guy in the um, from CDOT that said like, hey, let's go to this parking lot and check each other's bank accounts. See who's more successful. Like <laughs> the, the amount of absurdity it takes to like say those types of things on the internet. Like, what are you doing? Who cares? He also was like, take, he, he got so frustrated that he, he started talking shit about football and was starting and he, and he started this receipt log of people talking shit about him that he is going to go back on uh, into that list after the uh, football game, supposedly when when UF just pantses us, and he's going to talk shit about that as if we don't already know what's going to happen. <laughs> like, like brother, we know you guys are going to mollywalk us whenever we go, whenever you come here. That's fine. 
you were the preseason number one team and national title favorite. And you had all of these articles written about how your team was going to win the national championship. And then you lose to us and to the number four seed and then get embarrassed by South Alabama. Not even 12 hours later, after you said it was the most embarrassing loss of your life. Just, and and you know what? It's fine. You had a bad series. It happens. But like after the fact, go ahead and say, well, the best team in that regional didn't win. It's like, but huh? (laughs) That shouldn't, that doesn't matter. Why why are you still trying to dunk? Anyway, that, that, that was, the, that was a hilarious moment because I think everybody in the USF Twitter sphere was on the same page, just like dunk. And on then everybody. an underrated part of it was uh, he didn't eat, he didn't go to Penn, he didn't go to Cornell, he didn't go to Florida. He's like he went to some school and he was very braggadocious about how people wouldn't be able to even spell his school's name. Hey, be like shit on our education because someone spelled it wrong. Bitch, okay. He's like, oh, I wouldn't expect USF fans to know how to spell. Gorgian University in Pinebroke, New Jersey. Like major, major. My girlfriend goes to a different high school. You don't know her vibe from this guy. Shout out to Senator Giggity who just kept egging him on. Oh God, that was hilarious. Yeah. So those are the awards. I wanted to kind of expand upon it and and kind of touch on some more things. That's not just like a you know sentence or two. Just a very very successful season. And I want to I want to wrap this up with just the amount of awards USF had this past season. Let me make sure I've got everything correct. All right. So here we go. You ready for this? It's, it's going to gonna be uh, interesting. AAC team and individual championships, baseball, women's basketball, regular season and tournament, men's golf, wire to wire win, women's soccer, regular season and tournament. Alvin Bergstrom won the individual men's title. Shania Benjamin, AAC Outdoor Championship Long Jump. Janissa Hextall, 400-meter hurdles. The women's 4x400 relay team of Gabrielle DeRogiers, Benjamin, Patricia Rofsha, and... Oh, sorry, I just said it. Uh, Janissa Hextall winning the uh, AAC team title in the women's 4x400. Uh, and then we've got AAC player and coaches honors, Maria Alvarez, Co sixth player of the year, Georgina Korik, AAC pitcher of the year, her third time, Cheyenne Dennis, AAC co defensive player of the year for women's soccer, Sydney Martinez, goalkeeper of the year, Sydney Nasalo, offensive player of the year, Eliza Pinzon, most improved player of the year for women's basketball, Steve Bradley, coach of the year, Jose Fernandez, coach of the year, Denise Shilty Brown, and staff, coaching staff of the year, 13 All Americans. Including Stone Baker for pole vault, pole vault, uh, Zariah Allers, Labert in the four by one hundred, Duncan, Iginmang for the four hundred uh, meter hurdles, the relay team, uh, Shania Benjamin for long jump, the four by one hundred and the four by four hundred, uh, Georgina Korik, uh, DeRogiers for the four by one hundred and four by four hundred, Hextall for the four by four hundred. Sydney Martinez for women's soccer, Sydney Nasalo for women's soccer, uh, Kadisha Prescott, the four by 100 and, uh, Rashofa, the four by 400. And then, uh, Drew Brutcher, freshman, all American Carmine lane, freshman, all American. Hold on. I got to turn the page because there's more. I lost count at, uh, at 48. Yep. Um, let's see. 
nine national postseason appearances. Baseball, Gainesville Regional winners, Austin Super Regional. Uh, women's basketball, shitty seed, second round. Men's golf, women's soccer, second round. Softball, men's tennis, men's track and field, women's track and field, sailing, top 25 ranked teams, baseball, women's basketball, women's soccer. Let's go, Bulls. This has been the Blue and I podcast. Go wait, Bulls. wait, wait, one more. What? There was one more. Uh, cheerleading co-ed national champions. cheerleading co-ed national champions. Over. Let's go. Run Who came in second place? Florida. Who came in second place? Uh, I, I believe it was uh, Reedy, Reedy Creek University Golden Knights. Yep, there it is. And with that, this has been the Bluminati podcast signing off for all of the champions at USF this spring. Go Bulls. Go Bulls and welcome to Champa Bay. Go Bulls and come to USF. Yes.